Good morning, Bridge. How are we doing, guys? Come on, smile for me. All together. One, two, three. Doesn't that feel good? So good to see you guys. So glad that you're here. Those that are watching online, we're so glad you're with us today. Kim and I were on vacation last week, took a few of the grandkids to the mountains, and we were with you uh, online as well last week. Pastor Luke, do an awesome job last week or what? We are so blessed to have him and so many of his generation leading us, Pastor Ricky leading us this morning. We're just a blessed people. So let me just start with a little question. Is there, I'll put you on the spot, but I'm going to anyway. Uh, is there a difference between your lifestyle and your life values? Just sit real still. I mean, just think about it for a minute. I gotta be honest with you. One of my personal core values is to honor my marriage vows. Kim and I are coming up on 46 years of marriage, but I have to be honest with you. One of the reasons, yeah, that's celebration. That's good stuff. Uh, but one of the reasons is because she's done a better job of honoring her marriage vows than I have mine. I mean, I promise to love, honor, and cherish her. And there will be some times uh, over the years that I've taken her for granted. I'm not saying you, I'm saying me. Uh, and so every now and then, I've had to stop and say, wait a minute. If, if my life's values says this, but my lifestyle says that, something's got to change. Does that make sense? So what do I change? Do I either get honest about the fact that this isn't really a life value, even though I say it is, or do I change my lifestyle? That, that's when you come to those crisis moments where you, 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 what I call, close the frustration gap between lifestyle and life's values. I said all that just to set up what we're going to talk about this morning because we're kicking off a whole new series that we're calling uh, Building for the Generations. Obviously, we consider every series that we do around here to be the most important series uh, ever. People ask me sometimes, what's your favorite sermon ever? And my answer is always the one I'm working on right now. I'm just going to, I'm in the moment kind of guy. But this series, I believe with everything in me, is especially critical uh, to our lives, to our families, to our church, to our nation, and particularly um, critical to the emerging generation among us. I believe with everything in me that we are part of a nation that stands at a crossroads. I got one yes. I've never seen in my lifetime the kind of attack against the values that have defined us as a nation that we're dealing with now, nor the moral decay on the other side of that attack that we're all experiencing. And if there's ever been a time, you watched it in the video, but if there's ever been a time that we need to make sure that we are evaluating whether or not our lifestyle and our life values match, if there's ever been a time that we're modeling lifestyle and life values coming together, if there's ever been a time that the emerging generations, our children and our grandchildren, for some of you perhaps great-grandchildren, are seeing those values lived out and seeing the blessings that comes from it, it is right now because I believe our emerging generation is in Satan's crosshairs as we speak. I got two amens. I've just never seen the unprecedented attack on biblical values that we're watching these Days. So for the next few weeks, we're going to lean into the core values that make us who we are as a church family. We've identified seven core values, and so for the next seven weeks, we're going to unpack a value each week and get an understanding of what those are, and we're going to ask ourselves the question, how are we doing? 
Not just as a church, but as individuals, how are we doing? Again, that gap between lifestyle and life's values, we're going to say, are we living by our values? In fact, let me back up just a little bit before we get into values and tell you, Pastor Luke said it last week, that setbacks often create opportunities for development. And let's just be honest, guys, the last 18 or 20 months have been a setback for every church in America, every church in the world. Most of the pastors that I'm talking to these days, and I talk to a lot of them across the country, their churches in terms of attendance are somewhere between 25 and 60% of what they were before COVID came. That's reality, and we understand why in many cases, but we also understand there's been a lot of fallout during this season, and so we're in a rebuilding season even as COVID numbers continue and perhaps prayerfully begin to come down just a little bit. So we've taken advantage of that setback over the last 18 months. The leadership of all four of our locations has stepped back and said, okay, here's a chance for us to assess uh, and ask God sincerely, Lord, where are we going as a church? Where are you leading us as a, as a movement, as a body of believers in Jesus Christ? And once we got an idea of where we're going, how are we going to get there? What are the steps that we need to take in order to get to that place? And then perhaps most important, what are the values that we're going to make sure that we stay true to as we go on this journey to the vision that you've given us? That's what we're talking about is vision, mission, and values. I want to take a minute before we get into the heart of the message today to make sure you understand where we are and where we're going as a church. Vision simply is a mental image of a preferred future. It's a, it's a solution to a problem. A vision is this idea, this picture that says, here's where I am, there's where I want to be, and there's a journey to get from where I am to where I'm going. We're going to talk a lot about vision uh, during this season. In fact, we've got a vision for the future here in Princeton. All four of our locations have visions for their respective locations. We've got one here in Princeton, and quite frankly, it's too big for us to go into in detail on Sunday mornings, so we're going to have vision gatherings on Wednesday and Thursday night, October 27th and 28th, where we're going to come together and cast vision for the future that focuses largely on the emerging generation, but makes sure that we are a multi-generational church ministering to every generation. So go ahead and start thinking now, vision gathering, which night works for you. We're going to be in here. We're going to serve a meal. It's going to be a big vision kind of night, and I hope that you'll make plans to be a part of that. If you're brand new or you've been here for decades, is irrelevant. We want you at one of the vision gatherings on either October 27th or 28th. In fact, you can register. The registration's online. You can go to the website, the app, uh, and do it right now. The preschool child care is going to be provided. Going forward, what you're going to hear, and you may have already seen some of the signage, the vision for our church is going to be stated in terms of changing lives that change the world. Changing lives that change the world. Say it with me. Changing lives that change the world. That's pretty grand, the idea of changing the world. But that's exactly what we believe God has called us to do is help people to change, become like Christ, and in the process, change the world. It may start with their world, their marriage, their kids, their neighbors, but ultimately it's the 7 billion people who desperately need Jesus around the planet. The vision is where we're going. The mission then is the steps we have to take to get there. 
We're going to unpack those in January and February of this coming year uh, as we get kick off the new year making commitments to the mission of these are the things that we're going to be doing as we move forward in the church. And I'll tell you now, there's not a whole lot of new information. It's a repackaging of who we are. This church isn't changing dramatically because our DNA is set, but we are going to say it in fresh kinds of ways. And so for us, it's going to be connect, grow, serve, and lead. Say it with me. Connect grow, serve, and lead. We're going to talk in terms of how are we connecting to God and his family? How are we growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ? How are we serving others as we're being served? And how are we leveraging our influence in order to lead others to connect to God and his family, to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ, and ultimately to serve as they're being served? That's the mission that if we do that, it will move us toward the vision. The third element then is the values. And the values are the foundational framework with which, within which we live. They are the core principles that we're going to get that right if we don't get anything else right. And we've been working through uh, restating those core values, and that's what we're going to be focusing on during this sermon series. Let me, let me illustrate it this way. Can we, I think I've got a picture. Can we put a picture up there? So imagine that, that picture... Um, and, uh, and imagine that you're standing down here on the dock and you're looking out across the ocean. You can just barely make all out on the horizon. There's a kind of a dark line in there. That's probably mountains or, or something on the other end. In other words, your eye gets pulled, not just to the, to the planks on the front edge of the picture, but it gets pulled all the way to the top and the back of the picture and you find yourself wondering what's out there. That's vision. You can't get there from here. That, that dock doesn't go that far, but somehow you have this compelling desire to get there. That's vision and for us, that's changing lives that change the world. The planks, the, the dock initially and then eventually a boat and other things will ultimately take you there. That's the mission of the church. And then the values are the frame, the boundaries that we're not going to cross. Let me illustrate it negatively, and I think some of you will relate to this. One of the tragedies of the American church is that a lot of mainline denominations made a commitment a few decades ago in the late 20th century that they wanted to, 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 to shore up their, their, their decline, quite frankly. Their churches were shrinking, they were getting smaller, and they wanted to grow again, but they didn't define a biblical value uh, as a framework, so they just said, well, we just got to grow. We just got to reach people. And before you know it, their biblical values are gone and they're reaching anybody for any reason without even bringing them to Christ. Does that make sense? So you got to define your biblical values and say, okay, yeah, we're committed to that vision, changing people, changing lives to change the world. Yes, we're going to take those steps to connect God and his family and, and grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ and serve as we're being served and lead others to do the same, but we're going to do it within the framework of these values. We're going to get these things right if we don't get anything else Right, if I'm confusing you or feeding you from a fire hose right now, forgive me, but over the next seven weeks, I hope it'll be much clearer to you, and I hope you'll come to the vision gatherings on October 27th and 28th where we unpack that vision in much more detail and, and, and bring it within our reach. For today, I want to jump right into the values, okay? I want to make sure we understand what they are. We're going to read them all together, and then we're going to jump right into the first one quickly to get an understanding of that because the first one is the baseline for all of them. Let's read them all together, okay? They're going to be on the screens. Here we go. Core value number one is live 
biblically. Here's how we state it in detail. We value the Bible as the final authority in everything we believe and every way we behave. We study God's word as the owner, owner's manual for living, fully capable of equipping us for every good work. Can I get an amen in the house? The second value is, you say it, you want to say it? Serve unselfishly. We believe the Christian life involves serving as much as it is being served. We find our niche in the body of Christ. We serve in the church and in the world. The third value is love unconditionally. We value accepting one another as Christ accepted us. We welcome everyone who comes into our sphere of influence with, with more regard for, uh, less regard for where they are than where, uh, and more regard for where they're, they're going. The fourth one is relate sincerely. We value authentic Christian relationships that are sincere, not superficial, but sincere relationships, not hypocritical, but sincere expressions of love for one another. We know that circles are better than rows, and so around here we emphasize moving beyond Sunday morning services to getting into small groups and serve teams, building relationships with one another. The fifth one is, what is it? Worship passionately. We value our relationship with God above all others, and we engage him honestly and expressively to bring him glory and honor. The sixth one is grow intentionally. We believe that every man, woman, and child needs the spiritual and relational support of being a part of a church family. As long as there's one person who needs Jesus and a church home, guess what? We ain't going to stop growing. We're not going to apologize for growing. We don't set attendance rec goals, and we don't say, well, let's have X number of people in church. It ain't about growing a church, but as long as there's somebody out there needs Jesus, I'm going to say, yeah, you can have my chair. Come on in. Amen? We're going to grow intentionally. And then finally, the seventh is reach globally. We believe the Holy Spirit has come to empower us to share our faith both locally uh, and around the world. We do that through giving, participating in service projects, and traveling on mission trips both here and around the world. Those are the values that our leadership team has come to the conclusion, our board, our staff, our pastors have all come to the conclusion that these are the things that are going to define us. And so for the next few weeks, that's what we're going to be unpacking is each one of those in great detail. I hope you'll make the effort to be here. If you can't be here, be online. Let's get these values into our hearts. You're going to see uh, those statements plastered around the, the building as reminders as, because uh, values tend to slip, vision tends to leak. We're just going to remind ourselves that this is who we are. This is where we're going. This is what God has called us to do. So you ready to shift gears? Let's get into it. We're getting right into the first value, and the first value that I mentioned to you is live biblically. Why would we make that one the first one? Because none of the others make any sense unless you've decided to live biblically. I'm told, though, that it's a guy thing. I don't know. Uh, I've been told that I don't like to read directions. Any don't look at them. But, you know, when I was a kid, my parents sometimes would, would give me a, a, a model car to build, you know, little plastic models. Remember, we used to do those things. I don't know if they still do. But you know, cars and planes and boats, we'd build those things. I would look at the picture on the box and start building. I mean, who needs instructions? I got a picture right here. Well, you don't need instructions. And, and I could put it together, and when it was done, it would look okay. But there were always parts left over. I don't know where those parts went. They probably weren't important because I didn't bother to read the instructions. Well, I've grown since then 
uh, I'm not sure I've gotten any smarter because I still make that same mistake. And Kim would be happy to tell you stories of that mistake that I still make sometimes. But the truth of the matter is, it's not a guy thing. None of us like to be told what to do. Hello? So what I'm drowning in debt, don't tell me how to manage my money. So, okay, so my marriage is in crisis, but don't tell me I'm the one who needs to change. Thank you for telling me what the Bible says is true. Now I have to discover what my truth is. I certainly don't need a bunch of old men who lived hundreds of years ago telling me how to live in the 21st century. And in case you think those people are crazy for thinking that way, um, we've all felt that way sometimes on any given subject. We see what the Bible says, but we just struggle with lining up with what it says. But we as a church had decided a very, very long time ago, over 100 years ago, that the Bible was going to be the final authority in every area of what we believe and in how we behave. Read it with me. It's on the screens. The Bible is the final authority in every area of what we believe and how we behave. Understand, we just don't want the Bible to be a good book. We don't even just want the Bible to be authoritative. We want it to be the final authority in every area of our lives. And we're not going to pretend for a minute that that's easy all the time. It's not. Remember when you were a kid thinking, uh, you know what, I can't wait till I'm an adult because when I'm an adult, nobody's going to tell me to eat my vegetables unless I want to. Nobody's going to tell me to do my homework. Nobody's going to tell me it's time to do my chores. Nobody's going to tell me not to put X-lax in my sister's chocolate. Nobody's going to, you know, when I'm an adult, I'm going to go to bed when I want. I'm going to do what I want when I want. Nobody's going to tell me what. And then we become adults and we find out that it's not just mom and dad and teachers who tell us what to do. Now we've got a whole bunch of people like bosses and police officers and judges and wives and mortgage companies and and Duke Power and tax collectors. We've got a whole bunch of people who want a slice of the authority pie in our lives. And then we give our lives to Jesus and we're so excited because we get a fresh start in life, a clean slate, freedom from the guilt of sin, and it's awesome. And then God starts telling us how to manage our money and how to manage our marriage and, and how, to, how to parent and, and how to live. And, and we find ourselves struggling, even as Christians sometimes, we find ourselves struggling with, with that simple but profound question, why should I submit to the authority of a book that was written hundreds of years ago. Why should I submit to that? And so in the few minutes we've got left, I wanna, I wanna just give you three reasons. I wanna suggest to you that you should. I wanna submit to you that you'll be blessed if you do, but I wanna give you three reasons why we as a church and why I hope you as an individual will submit to the authority of the book. Three reasons. Number one, for starters, because Jesus did. Frankly, that's enough for me. Jesus did, modeled it for me, uh, and I'm going to follow him. Frankly, let's just be honest, guys. If anybody who ever lived could have called the shots for his own life, it would have been Jesus. And yet, he made it very clear that he was submitted to the authority of the Bible. Look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 17 and 18. Don't misunderstand why I've come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. 
I assure you, until heaven and earth disappear, even the smallest detail of God's law will remain until its purpose is achieved. In other words, I didn't come to do away with the Bible. I came to live it out. I came to role model for you what submission looks like. And so, again, if Jesus did it, that's enough for me. I, I believe I should do it too, no matter how difficult it may be. But let me give you two more reasons, just real practical reasons why we ought to submit to this book as the, role, the owner's manual, the rule book, the, the instructions for living uh, for our lives. The second reason is when you do, when you do submit to the authority of this book, when this becomes not just an authoritative book, a good book, it becomes the book, healthy church structures get established. Healthy church structures get established. And understand that every organization that exists has some kind of structure to it. I mean, you, you, you can have a gang, but that's just chaos and anarchy. If, if you're going to have any kind of organization that has any kind of movement, you have to have some kind of structure. The sad reality is that in an awful lot of churches, uh, that structure is based on some really unhealthy models. Sorry, not here to be critical, just making an honest observation from 50 years of ministry. Uh, God has a design for how the church should be structured, but quite often churches who haven't said, you know, the Bible's going to be the final authority for us, even if it's difficult for us to think and wrap our brain around, then unhealthy structures form because, you know, if, if it's not the Bible, then somebody's got to fill the void. Two unhealthy systems that I've experienced over the decades, you tell me if you've experienced them or not. One is I believe God's design was not based on an influential group. I don't believe that's God's design for the church, the structure of the church. The sad reality, though, is in many churches, congregations are made up of insiders and outsiders. And the insiders are usually a very small group, maybe one family, one extended family, or a group called deacons or elders or whatever you call them in each respective church, parish councils. There's lots of different names for them depending on your background and your, and, and your process. But bottom line is that there's a small influential group of people who call the shots in the church and they make all the decisions in a back room. One of the first churches that Kim and I served uh, when we first started out in ministry, it is, we loved the church. We loved the people. Uh, we were thrilled that we were there. We felt like God had blessed us to bring us to that place until one day I got a call from one of the insiders, happened to be on the deacon board, and he said, uh, Jim, I need to meet with you for a few minutes one evening. Do you have some time? Well, of course, I will. And so we met and uh, sat in the Sunday school room at the church while he told me this long story about his history in that community and his history in that church. And he ended up by saying, I need to make sure that you understand you're a young pastor just getting started out. You're new in our church. I need you to understand how things work around here. And that is, if you'll listen to me, you'll make a success of this, and if you don't, you won't last very long. And I took a deep breath, just a kid. I mean, I wasn't even out of finished Bible college yet. Took a deep breath and went, <clears throat> well, um, I, man, I value you, man. You're such an important part of, of what's going on here, and I value you. I certainly value the deacon board and their role in all of this, but, but according to the Bible... My job as pastor 
is to get a vision from God, to cast that vision to the congregation, and then equip the saints to fulfill that vision. That's my responsibility as the pastor of this church. Your job as a deacon or as an elder is different from that. At least what I understand from Scripture, your, your job is to care for the people and set a godly example. I even quoted 1 Peter to him. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1, 2, and 3. You who are elders in the churches may appeal, may appeal to you. Care for the flock of God entrusted to you. Watch over it willingly, not grudgingly, for what you will get out of it, but because you're eager to serve God. Don't lord it over the people assigned to your care, but lead them by your good example. And I thought, you know, I'm being sincere. I'm not pushing back. I'm just saying, I hear what you're saying, but here's what I understand the Bible to say. And he looked at me dead in the eye and he said, save that for Sunday morning, preacher. I'm telling you how things work here. I knew I wouldn't last long, <laughs> and I didn't. Now, understand, Peter's not saying don't have a board of elders, board of directors. He is not saying that. In fact, he's saying have one. He's just given the job description. Can I tell you from experience, the five years that I've been here, we are an incredibly blessed house to have the board that we have in this place. Can we thank these guys for their service? Because they get it. They understand their role and they serve faithfully and they are a huge blessing to all of us. Thank God for that. But it was never God's design that churches be controlled by a small group in the back room. The second unhealthy model that I've seen uh, is that God's design is, is not the most influential person controlling the church. Don't misunderstand when I say it's the pastor's job to get a vision from God, share it with the congregation, equip them to do a job. I'm not suggesting for a moment that as your lead pastor that I'm the final authority here either. In fact, my spiritual authority stops the moment I stop operating under the authority of this book. The only authority I have is the authority that this book gives me in the role that I'm in. I'm vividly aware of the honor and of the responsibility that I have to stand here week after week after week and suggest to you some ways that you ought to live. And I'm overwhelmed sometimes when you come to me a month later, six months later, and say, man, when you said thus and so, it changed my life. And I, I kind of gulp and go, Oh, boy, I hope I was operating biblically when I said that and not operating in my own humanity because I understand the responsibility. I haven't slept through a Saturday night in, in 50 years, sincerely. I didn't sleep last night. Uh, most of That's just Saturday nights for me. That's my routine because of the weight of responsibility that I feel when I stand before you guys and suggest how you ought to live. But I understand, I vividly understand that that your willingness to listen to what I've got to say rests entirely on whether I'm willing to submit to the authority of this book. Our staff, our group leaders walk in that same kind of authority in your life. I mean, they teach you, they lead you in dialogues around the scriptures, they sit with you and decision points in your life, they influence how you think and decisions you're going to make. But again, the authority isn't theirs. The authority's in this book. Does that make sense? So let me make this as clear as I know how and we'll move on. I put it in a quote so you can remember it perhaps. Beware any teacher who asks you to do something publicly because of something that God has told them privately. In other words, if I or any influential person in this church ever tells you to do anything that isn't in this book, 
don't. Let me say it another way. If I get up one Sunday morning and I say, you know, God had me up all night giving me a word for you and my word for you that God gave me to tell you is that before you leave today, each of you should give me $1,000. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to quietly gather your things. I want you to slip out of the room. I want you to go down the hall. I want you to get your kids and then I want you to run away. Because it isn't biblically sound. The only appropriate authority in the church is not a small influential group of people. And it's not a single influential person with a private word from God. The only appropriate authority in the church is biblical authority. In fact, the apostle Paul himself actually said about himself in Galatians 1.8, even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we've preached to you and other than, other than the revelation that God gave us that became the New Testament, he's saying, let him be eternally condemned. Can I say quickly another thing I love about this place is that we are blessed with a staff, with pastors, with group leaders, with teachers, with kids' ministries, student ministries, people who are fully committed to the Bible as the final authority of their lives. Can we give it up for everybody who serves around here so faithfully? Thank you for, for your service. Okay, well, okay, but uh, if it's not a small group of influential people in the back room and it's not a single individual, then, then what's God's design for church structure? I'm so glad you asked. It's called a Christocracy. That may not be a word you're familiar with, but, but it's a simple word if you break it down, that, that word Christ and ocracy. We know who Christ is. It's Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the Messiah. Ocracy is just simply the word you put on to say government. And so Jesus is the head of the church. That's what that simply means. In, in Christocracy, you and I are all parts of the body, and he is the head of the body. Each one of us has a role. We're all members of the body. We have a role in the body. We have gifts to fill that role. Each of us has a niche in that body, and together we operate under the authority of the head, Jesus Christ, who has already established that he submitted to the scriptures themselves. See what the Bible says, Romans chapter 12, verse 6 and 7. We have different gifts according to the grace given to us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's, in, if it's to encourage, then give encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. What's he saying? Each part finds their gifting, their area, and they serve in that area according to their faith as God has given you the grace to serve in those areas. Each one gets the authority that goes with the level of responsibility that they've accepted. You want more authority in a church like this? How do you get it? By accepting more responsibility because you get the authority that goes with the responsibility that you accept. That's how you get it. And that's how Christocracies work under the headship of Jesus Christ, Ephesians chapter four, verse 15. Speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. And again, I can tell you from experience, both here and in other places that I've served through the years, when a group of Christ followers come together, each one listening to the same Lord, loving the same vision, mission, and values, 
linking their arms together, each accepting responsibility and the authority that goes with it, authority that goes with the responsibility that they accept, Paul's prayer in Romans 15 gets answered. Let's read it together. One, two, three, go. May God help you live in complete harmony with each other, each with the attitude of Christ Jesus toward the other. Then all of you can join together with one voice giving praise and glory to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is how I've led for the last 35 or 40 years. And I proudly, without pride, say to you, I've never led a ministry that had a split. Why never have a split? Because if you want more authority, you just accept more responsibility. There's no hoops to jump through. There's no people in the back room saying you can or can't. You tell me what your gifts are and we'll get you connected. That's what test drive's all about. That's what our serve teams are all about. You get in a small group. I mean, when a church operates this way, that harmony comes together, people putting their shoulder to the same wheel, pushing in the same direction, accomplishing what God has called them to do. The model that God designed for the church is not an influential group running the show from a back room. It's not an influential person controlling from a private word. It's a team of people, each one operating within their giftedness, accomplishing what God has called them to do, linking arms with one another under the headship of Christ, who himself submitted to this book, the Bible, the word of God. Did that make sense? It's amazing what happens. Which leads me to the third reason we'll start bringing this home, that we need to submit to the Bible as a final authority because when we do, we're not only following the model that Jesus gave for us, we're not only establishing healthy structures in the church that leads to unity and harmony and accomplishment, but ultimately lives are changed in that atmosphere. Healthy living takes place. Anybody remember what our newly worded vision statement is? You wanna say it? You want me to? Changing lives that change the world. Frankly, we can't get there from here. How are we going to change 7 billion people? I don't have a clue. I'm gonna start with my world. Why don't you start with your world? What if each one of us started thinking about our sphere of influence and the changes that the people that we love need to make in their lives in order to be healthy and whole? What if we started in our own hearts? and started thinking about what we need to do in order to live within the values that the scriptures has defined for us. What if our lives began to change lining up with the word of God and then we became an influence for somebody else whose lives changed in line with the word of God? And what if we could create a chain event that ultimately changed your world and your world and your world and your world and the world? Is that worth investing your one and only life in? I think it is. I think when we get that, it goes way beyond, man, we had a good service Sunday. Boy, those were good songs. It goes way beyond, Pastor Jim did a great job. Pastor Luke did a great job. Pastor Andy really brought a good message this week. It goes way beyond what's happening in the moment and it becomes this realization that we are linking arms and we are changing the world for the cause of Christ, which is ultimately what he called us to do. Mark chapter 16 Verse 15, you are to go into all the world and preach the good news to everybody you like and agree with. What? Let's know what it says. To everyone everywhere. 
Hear me, guys. The church, now lean into this because I want you to get this. The church that abandons biblical authority stops challenging people to grow in their faith. They stop challenging people to live biblically and they start focusing on keeping people happy so they won't leave. That's what they do. They want to keep the givers giving. They want to keep the servers serving. They want to keep the disgruntled gruntled. <laughs> you say that, but you know, they just, whatever, whatever they have to do to keep people happy and staying there is what they're willing to do. But at the other end of the spectrum, the church that embraces the Bible as the final authority, who accepts the call of God to empower lives, to change and become more like Christ, that church will continue to see week after week after week, life change happening in their families and in their communities, in their neighborhoods and in the world. They'll can begin, continue to see the life-changing operation of the Holy Spirit of God operating in people's lives. We continue to see the demonstration of God's power among us for every generation and especially the emerging generation. They'll see God at work in ways they've never seen it before or perhaps long for seeing again. I believe it. I believe I just described the bridge and I believe with everything in me that that's what God's called us to, to be a church for whom the Bible is the final authority in everything we believe and every way we behave. Can I get one or two amens? I've got to take another minute, if it's okay, though, and make this personal. Because you're smart people. Uh, you're bright people. You're watching online. You're very intelligent. Yeah, you have the intelligence to start up your computer and put it on the TV and watch it. I mean, we're intelligent people. So you understand that the real application of what I'm saying is not the prayer, oh, God, let the bridge be a place that never abandons biblical authority. The real prayer is, Lord, empower my commitment as an individual to place myself under the word of God, no matter what that implies for the way I'm going to live. Because we understand that as my commitment goes, so goes the church. As your commitment goes, so goes the church. I am the bridge. You are the bridge, right? As our commitment goes, so goes the church. We are the bridge. Say it with me. We are the bridge. Look at somebody and say, we, we are the bridge. So let me bring this home and I'll hush. Uh, I want to talk to to married folks. Then I'm going to talk to singles, married folks, husbands, wives, moms, dads. If you went to Lowe's this afternoon and bought a bodacious grill, you know, they're on sale now because the weather's getting cold and cooler. And so, yeah, you go get me one of them grills. And you brought it home, and it said, some assembly required, but who needs instructions? I can put one of these things together. And after two hours or two days of failing, uh, it, it's a big deal. I mean, okay. You give up, but there's no great loss because you still got options. You can ask some friends to come over and help you put it together. I've done it before. You can call the 800 number, tech line, and get them to walk you through it. Frankly, you can box it up and take it back to Lowe's and say, this thing's default. You take it back. There's something wrong with this thing. But, but when it comes to family, if you're thinking, I don't need to read the instructions. I don't need to know what the book says. I need you to ask yourself, but what if I'm wrong? 
I mean, you can't put your kids back in a box and send them back to the manufacturer. You, you get one shot at this. You get one shot at the teen years. What, what, if I, what if I decide not to read the instructions? Is it worth the risk of not investing in what the book actually says and whether or not my life lines up with it? Singles, you, you can buy yourself the newest, latest, greatest computer or technology or something you've never had before, and you're smart enough people, you could figure it out. I mean, you could figure out how to use it. You might even figure out how to use most of the features of the thing. But if you think you're smart enough to figure out love and, and dating and sex and preparation for marriage and figure all that stuff out on your own, you ain't as smart as you think you are. Because the reality is that there's a lot of stuff life throws at us these days that none of us have ever experienced before. I hear you, Jim, but you know, I've been in a family. I can lead a family. Oh, that's like saying I've had surgery. I can do one now. I flew in a plane. I can be the pilot now, right? It's, the risks are just too great. When you have the instructions right here in front of you, all you have to do is read them. Well, you know, I've, I've, I've read some, but I'm not sure I understand it all. What, what do I do now? Well, that's why we have the growth track. Get in the growth track. We've got a discipleship process here at the church. You can just get into it. In fact, today's the final day to follow up for the, sign up for the fall semester. They start this week. You can get into the growth track even right now. Just go online, stop at the guest center. Uh, they'll help you get linked up if you're not sure how to do it. But you can go to the app and go to the website. You can start this week. Get in the growth track because that's designed to move you methodically and systematically from the very beginnings of laying a foundation to understanding the word of God for living. I got to close, but let's just be honest. Would you say it's true that your greatest regret in life could have been avoided if you'd been living under the authority of this book at that time? Yeah. In fact, most of us probably have a few pages in our life story that wish we, we, we wish we could tear out. Wouldn't even be there if we'd learned and loved and lived by this book and surrounded us with people who did the same. Can't do anything about your past, but you make a decision today about what you're going to do for the future. I can tell you what will happen because Jesus told us what would happen. John chapter 8, verse 31, 32, if you hold to my teaching... If you get in this book, learn this book, live by this book, if you hold to my teaching, you're really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. There's incredible value in living by the book, no matter how challenging it may be at times. Let's pray. Father, thank you for loving us enough to give us the instructions. That you didn't just create us and, okay, go do your best. You created us, created us with purpose and value and meaning. Then you gave us the instruction booklet in an amazing kind of way 
40 plus different authors over 1,500 years in three different languages, but a book that has continuity as though there was one author that wrote it all. Oh, yeah, one author. His name is God, inspired by the Holy Spirit, embodied by the person of Jesus Christ. Thank you for giving us the instructions for living. Hear us as we can make a commitment to learn them and live by them. In Jesus' name, keep your heads bowed for just a minute. I'm not going to keep you, but I am going to ask you to join me in that prayer. Simple prayer, really. You can pray it out loud or silently. It's up to you, but it goes something like this. Jesus, I realize that when stuff messes up in my life, it's because I didn't live by your instructions. So see my heart as I say to you, I want to live under the authority of your word. I choose to live under the authority of your word. Anything in my life that doesn't line up with your instruction booklet, show me and I will change. As opportunities come for me to learn what it says, I will take them. I choose to submit to the authority of Scripture. Father, you see who's praying, you know exactly what's going on in their lives. Some who are praying that prayer for the very first time, others that have prayed it many, many times over the years and decades, but here we are making a fresh commitment to the owner's manual, the Bible, as the final authority in everything we believe and every way we behave. Would you empower it, Holy Spirit? We'll thank you for the privilege of serving you. In Jesus' name.